What's interesting is in, um, in Dr. Mate's book, he he talks a lot about um, he talks some about personalities, but he also talks about uh, patterns of behavior, hmm. which for me has a lot more uh, weight, I guess, because. Um, like for example, the in a lot in the chapter on cancer, uh, he has a thing where this one cancer clinic where people would go for breast cancer screening, and when they would first arrive there, they would fill out um, a form and whatnot and give it to the receptionist to maybe ha- exchange a few words. And the receptionist, they they did a test, and the receptionists were able to tell with it was really high. It was something like 95% accuracy whose cancer test was going to test positive and whose was going to test negative, just based on that interaction. So it's there is definitely some, you know, there's some really salient points there. And I know, I know, and another thing that he talks about is, um, you know, a pattern that predisposes someone to illnesses is difficulty saying no. And I've certainly got that in my own life. I mean, I can... I can put a great big check right next to that one. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hello? it's uh hello. Hello, it's Gabo here. Oh, wonderful. We're so happy you made it. You know, we were just talking about we didn't e- I didn't even think of that as as a possibility of, you know, having a medical doctor that there could be an emergent medical emergency to attend to. Okay, well, we're going to get, if we could, um, Gabor, if you and I can press star five on our phone, and that will put us into lecture mode and get rid of any background noise. Okay, go ahead. I did that. Okay, yep, okay, we're on. All right, so let's start the, Gabor, are you okay to do the call as scheduled to to stick to an hour and... Yeah. yeah okay. Great. Okay. Great. So we will. I will start by introducing myself because um, these seminars often go out to people who don't know who I am as well. So my name is Jeannie Patel Thompson, and I write books uh, on natural healing for digestive diseases. So you can find out uh, a lot more about myself or my books if you go to www.caramel.com. That's spelled C-A-R-A-M-A-L.com. And on the call today, we have Dr. Gabor Mate. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Very well, yes. Okay, good. So uh, now, do you prefer to be called by your first name or Dr. Mate, or what's your preference? Gabor is fine. Okay, so Gabor was born in Budapest, Hungary in 1944 and immigrated to Canada with his family in 1957. After graduating with a BA uh, and a few years as a high school English literature teacher, he returned to school to pursue his childhood dream of being a doctor. Uh, Dr. Mate ran a private family practice in East Vancouver for over 20 years. He was also the medical coordinator of the palliative care unit at Vancouver Hospital for seven years. Currently, he is the staff physician at the Portland Hotel, a residence and resource center for the people of Vancouver's downtown east side. Many of his patients suffer from mental illness, drug addiction, and HIV, or all three. Um, Dr. Mate, you've had regular medical columns in the Vancouver Sun and the National Globe and Mail newspaper, and you are widely recognized for your unique perspective on attention deficit disorder and your firmly held belief in the connection between mind and body health. So um, you are the author of four books, um, and uh, a a couple of them are about um, 
children and, and attention deficit disorder and things well, like that. But what? Uh, sorry? One is about attention deficit disorder. Uh, another book is a parenting book, which is, I'm not the main author. I'm a co-writer about it, which is about the importance of parents maintaining their relationship with their kids instead of the kids who form relationships with their peers, which is a disaster. Right, right. The third book is the one you, you're talking about when the body says no. And the fourth book is being published next week, actually. It's on addiction. Yes, in the realm of hungry ghosts. That's just about to come out. Right. Okay, great. Um, I'm just hearing still some background noise on the call. So if everybody on the call could right now press star six, that will help to clear up. Star six, okay. Except for you, except for you, Gabor, don't you do it. (laughs) All right. Um, now, what I wanted to ask you about, I wanted to start off with, because today we're going to be focusing on your book, uh, When the Body Says No, and we've already spent some time discussing, um, you know, about the book, and I think most people on the call have probably read it, but um, do you want to give us just a brief overview or summary of, of what the book is about and why you, why you wanted to write it? Oh. Dr. Matei, if you press star six, you have to press it again to unmute yourself. Uh-oh. Can you hear me now? Oh, there you go. Okay, great. Um, I wrote the book because in family practice and in palliative care, I noticed that the common dominator to all significant illness, no matter of the bowel or of the skin or the lungs from cancer to nervous system disorders is certain emotional stress patterns. I'm not saying these are the causes of these illnesses. I'm saying these these patterns are major contributors that are ignored in medical practice. And so, unfortunately, when people go to a doctor and they're diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis or eczema or colitis or multiple sclerosis, whatever it happens to be, all they get is symptom uh, relief. In other words, uh, treatments that are supposed to relieve the symptoms. But the patterns that contribute to those diseases or, or, or illnesses in terms of people's emotional stresses are never addressed. Yeah. So this is despite the fact that all this research has been done clearly showing the relationship between the emotions and, of course, the physiological functions of the body, particularly the nervous system and the immune system and the hormonal apparatus. And I'm just interested in pulling things together and showing how things tie together, that diseases are not uh, random events. They actually represent a lifelong uh, series of stresses and that these stresses could be interrupted if we understood what makes them happen. Yeah. you know, it was once you notice these things, it's hard not to want to talk about them because the gap between what we know scientifically and what is practiced uh, in ordinary, everyday uh, medical function is so wide that I, I wrote this book to try and bridge that gap. Well, it says, this is an interesting uh, quote I have from your book. On page 7, you say, 
I observed these same patterns in people I treated for multiple sclerosis, inflammatory ailments of the bowel, such as ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, chronic fatigue syndrome, autoimmune disorders, fibromyalgia, migraines, skin disorders, endometriosis, and many other conditions. In important areas of their lives, almost none of my patients with serious disease had ever learned to say no. Right. Well, the biggest... um commonality is people's difficulty saying no. Uh, you were talking about that just as I came on the line. And that stresses people because it means they take on a lot more than they can really handle. Right. And, of course, when you look at all these conditions and you say, what do they have in common? Whether it's asthma or eczema or psoriasis or colitis or multiple sclerosis or Crohn's, mm-hmm. what's the one medication that's used in all of these conditions? You're asking me? The answer is cortisol. Yeah, I was going to say prednisone. (laughs) Prednisone, yeah, yeah, is a kind of cortisol. It's an artificial cortisol. Now, what is cortisol? It's the body's quintessential hormone. Yes. Isn't it obvious that if we're having to treat everybody with the body's own stress hormone, there's something wrong with the stress apparatus in the body, that that, 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 that apparatus has been unbalanced and and it's in disequilibrium, it's it's, it's been... uh, over uh, um, overused, and so exactly. we have to supplement people's cortisol levels with artificial levels to keep their bodies from being inflamed, whether it's their lungs or their nervous system or their skin. And so that very fact alone, that 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 it's it's cortisol. And if you have asthmatic, what's the other medication that we use? It's adrenaline. And what's adrenaline? Right. That's the body's other stress hormone. Right. And last week it was reported um, two weeks ago a study that showed that women who are depressed or stressed, their children are more likely to have asthma than other children. And the researchers found this connection, but they couldn't explain it, but only because they haven't read my book. I mean, the, the information has been known for years, when, when, because children depend on their mothers, particularly for emotional support. When the mother is stressed or depressed, the child is stressed. When the child yeah. is stressed, uh, things will happen in the child's body. And it's not a question of blaming the mother here. It's just making the obvious point. Yeah. That stress is the common factor. Yes, exactly. I, I certainly noticed that because uh, I have uh, three children under the age of seven, and they are just, you know, they're such mirrors for what's happening with myself and my husband and our relationship. And whenever one of them is going sideways or something's happening and we say, okay, let, let, what's the message here? What are they mirroring back to us? And we shift they just, they're automatically, whatever's bugging them just sort of clears up. Oh, children are completely um, clued in and tuned into their parents' energy and emotional yeah. level, and uh, they act them out. And often, when I saw kids in family practice with stomach aches and, uh, you know, the tests were all negative, of, of course, you know, to say to the parents, there's nothing wrong here, is to miss the point. The point is that the child is exhibiting the symptoms of the family stress. Yes. It's having gut feelings, basically, that something is wrong, you know. Exactly, exactly. And, 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 you know, then if you look at the family dynamics and you help that, the stomach aches go away because kids are so dependent on the parents. It's not a question of, again, blaming parents. It's just saying this is how it is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a really important point to really drill home. Like for everything that we're talking about today, we're not talking about blame. We're talking about just identifying what is, because if you don't know what is, you can't fix it, you can't heal it, you can't change it. Exactly, and I think that's the problem in, in a medical practice is that 
uh, we're working blindly where we don't have to be blind. You know, in other words, we have the information. We're just not putting it together. We're not applying it. Yeah, exactly. So, and as a result, well, we leave patients, you know, unnecessarily uh, blind as well. Because, in fact, it's interesting because people will very often tell me after they read the book that on the gut level they always knew this was true. Yes. It's just that on the gut level, it's just that people in this society trust experts more than they trust their own gut feelings. And, uh, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, my, my flagship book is titled Listen to Your Gut because yeah. at the end of the day, your body wisdom knows everything. Yeah, if we know how to pay attention to it, that's the key. Exactly, if you can access it. Now, okay, so I want to ask you something else. On one page 136 of your book, you talk about a 1955 study which looked at over 700 people with ulcerative colitis and concluded that a high proportion of these patients had certain uh, personality traits in common that included neatness, punctuality, conscientiousness, uh, and along with these character traits, guarding of uh, affectivity, which is emotional expression, whether you can express yourself freely, emotionally or not, over-intellectualization, rigid attitudes towards morality and standards of behavior. Similar personality traits have also been used to describe patients with Crohn's. So here's my question to you. And because I can recognize myself in in this list, you know, I I am, I'm neat, I love to be on time, I, you know, I like to do a good job or just don't bother doing it. Those are definitely, and, and in my own life I've seen that, you know, my what you might call nitpicky or perfectionist tendencies have two sides to a coin. On the one side, they enable me to do um, really great things, to produce really great products um, and, you know, effect really, you know, wonderful things for my children. The flip side of that is I know that that pressure, pressure on myself or whatever you want to call it is triggering, you know, what you talked about before. It is triggering a nervous system response. It is triggering hormonal responses. So, and I, I kind of feel caught in a catch-22. So I guess my question to you is, how can we change? So I, if I look at these and I go, okay, well, these behavior patterns and these personality patterns are probably contributing to, you know, my having had a gut illness in the first place and it being, you know, still the place if I if I get stressed out my my symptoms are evidenced in my gut first. How can I change my behavior and patterns if they're part of my core personality? Cool. And if I, I like I, that because personality. I don't think they, I, because I don't think they're part of your core personality. I think okay. you weren't born like that. Nobody's born a neat freak. You know? Nobody's right. born like that. It's something that's developed in, in response to the environment. Something happened... Uh, Certainly in your early environment, I would argue, without knowing really anything about your early life, mm-hmm. that there were great expectations on you and mm-hmm. possibly very negative consequences for you if you didn't um, live up to certain expectations or or maybe there was so much emotional mess around you that you realized that you kind of made a decision to be extraordinarily neat in your life, you know, to not to go that route, you know, but something happened very early. It's a decision and on some unconscious level you made. But that doesn't mean that it's part of your core personality. It's been wired into you, but it's not you. And so even if I enjoy these things, 
they're still not necessarily a core part of me. But 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 an alcoholic enjoys his alcohol too, without that being good for him. You know. Very good point. So enjoyment is not really the issue. The issue is how much free choice you have over it. In other words, are these rigid patterns that you compel to follow, or are they tendencies that you can notice but you're not ruled by them? And if you're right. ruled by them, then you have no control. And if you have no control, then you're stressed, because a major uh, trigger for stress is loss of control. So, so are, are you saying that I could have those tendencies, but as long as I'm not controlled by them, they're not going to produce the stress responses and the illness? Exactly. Exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, you, you can notice them in yourself, and you can... Um, and you can uh, um, sometimes allow them to you know, to advise what you do, and sometimes say, "Okay, no thanks, but I'm not going to go that route today." That's okay. But if they're rigidly in charge of you and you're compelled, then you're stressed, and then that leads to illness. I do understand because the second half of my question was, I think, well. Look at people like Richard Branson or Donald Trump, just to take examples that most of us have heard of. Um, they have these personality traits and patterns, but yeah. they're not ill. You know, they, I mean, they're very high-performing. They're very. I don't know how happy. Uh, um, well, first of all, uh, you know, with the kind of power that these people wield, you get a lot of control. Uh, yes. But for another thing, I don't know how happy these guys are. I don't get the feeling that Donald Trump is a happy guy when you see him. Do you? I mean, no, I, I don't. I don't, I don't want to psychoanalyze somebody I don't know, but I'm with the. I don't get the impression of somebody who likes himself very much. Uh, I get the right. impression of somebody who needs to feel very powerful and needs to feel in control of others. And and. Um, but then, why doesn't he have to? It's difficulty forming intimate relationships, and has to keep going to newer and younger women. I mean, that's not a sign of health to me. So. But then, why isn't he physically ill? Why doesn't he have well, colitis? Why doesn't? Well, that's why I don't know, and you don't know what he's got. That's the. First. That's true. I guess unless he wants to be public with it. And number two, I'm not saying that these things are the cause of illness. I'm right. saying that if there's other predispositions and factors present, uh, then given these stresses, that disease will come on. I'm not saying that by themselves they're the only cause. I think diseases, ah. I think diseases have multiple causes. This is a major contributing cause that's largely ignored by medical practice, but that doesn't mean that there aren't other causes as well. Like obviously, look, cigarette smoking, right? Yeah. Cigarette smoking can't be the cause of lung cancer because if it was, everybody who, uh, who smoked had, would have lung cancer. Right. So it's the same argument, right? Well, how come that person smokes and doesn't have lung cancer? Well, that doesn't mean that cigarette smoking is not a major contributor, though. It is. But by itself, yeah. it's not, you know, and it's the same with everything. Like Stress is not the cause but it's a major, major contributor. Okay, so, yeah, I, I definitely, I'm, I'm hearing you on that, and that's, that's certainly my approach to it as well. Um, when people ask me and I say, well, n- usually, you know, IBD and IBS are, you know, have multiple causative factors, and, you know, you just have to identify which ones, you know, are, are present. And I, I even know some people where, you know, it's been, it can be solely a physical causation, you know, like you've gone traveling in India and you've picked up a, a you know, a very pathogenic parasite or, you know, bacteria, and that's why you've got colitis. It's not, it's not because, you know, you're creating well, stress. that's illness. true, but there's always an interesting question. How come two people um, contract the same organism but not two of them get the same illness? 
True, and here's the other thing I wonder about, because uh, my brother, who's a medical doctor as well, he said to me, upon autopsy, the average person has 16 viruses in their brain that they've never suffered any consequences from. Exactly, because their immune system can keep it in check. And it's the same thing with the flesh-eating disease, you know, which is a bacterial illness. Yes. The person had that bacteria in their system for years. Why do they get sick right now? And why does the other tens of hundreds of thousands of people out there with the same bacteria always in their system never um, never get sick with it. It's, it's again, so, so again, the attempt of, of, of medical science to explain diseases by single causes and bacteria and so on, it's of course right in the sense that the bacteria is a major trigger and without it the disease would not be there, but it can't be the only cause because if it was, Everybody who had the bacteria would also have the disease, but they don't. Exactly. You know, there's something else I've I've always kind of wondered about, and it's I, I'm kind of wondering about the the linking of things. For okay, well let 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 me, let me backtrack a bit. First of all, on page 138, you write neuropeptides, protein molecules secreted by nerve cells serve to promote inflammation or to inhibit it. Such molecules are found in heavy concentration in the intestines in the areas most vulnerable to IBD. Right. So give me a lay person's um, uh, description of this. Am I, what well, I read that and I think, hmm, if these neuropeptides, which are secreted by nerves, are secreted by nerve cells, is it correct then to say that the nervous system controls inflammation in the gut or is one of the main controls. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then what what conditions are going to make the nervous system produce inflammation? Well, how about overstimulation of the nervous system by stress? How about people taking on too much? More than they can they can actually handle. That's going to create all kinds of nervous discharges. And how how are you, you know, from what you've seen it in people's lives? Because I know, you know, there's the classic thing of, well, two people can experience exactly the same experience. One of them is stressed by it and one of them isn't. Well, so well, we well, can't well, say that it's well, necessarily... But, but, no two, but no, first of all, no two people ever experience the same experience because they don't, they don't, they don't um, externally it looks the same. You know, like you and I might be out in the street and a bomb might, you know, let's say a car might make a loud noise, right? Mm-hmm. Very explosive, loud sound, okay? Now, if you had been born during wartime like I was, you'd be startled and, and momentarily frightened by that loud sound because you heard bombs around you as an infant. Yeah. But, if, but, if, but if you grew up near a factory with all kinds of loud noises, you heard a loud noise, you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't even notice it, maybe. So let's take something you, you really benign. Say, you might say it's the same experience, but it's not the same experience. I, I agree, and I, I totally get that. But let's take something really benign. Let's take standing in line. Okay. You've got to wait in line. Yeah, some people okay. find that enjoyable, and some people find that incredibly stressful. Well, first of all, if you have ADD like me, you're going to find it stressful because you don't have any patience, you know. <laughs> uh, but, but, but here's the thing. Let's take, that, let's take that example. What if as a kid you're, you, you really felt that your needs were met, that you didn't have to worry about things because the universe, your family particularly, was there to support you and to nurture you. Yes. With no anxiety. What if, on the other hand, you were a kid who were never listened to, who other kids always got in there ahead of you, 
And you're always agonizing over whether you're actually going to get your turn at getting enough love or getting enough toys or getting enough the goodies at the table, okay? Yeah. What's going to be your experience of standing in line? Yeah. In the first case, it's just an opportunity to reflect or to read a book or talk to your neighbor. In the second case, it's going to trigger all your anxieties. Right, right. So no, no what you said, that have, there's, yeah. Two people that are having the same experience. Exactly. Very, very interesting. So, okay, so here's another question then for you. Um, on page 86, you talk about a big risk factor for all kinds of illness is the repression of anger. Yeah. So can you give me some real-life examples? Like what, what forms does this take? How do people, what are some ways that people repress their anger? What are some situations so we can get an idea of the different ways that someone can repress anger? Well, the, 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 there's a difference between repression and suppression, okay? Ah. Uh, now, suppression is where, to give you an extreme example, somebody shoves a gun, your face, gun in your face and demands your money, you know? Yeah. And after your first fear, you feel total outrage that this should be happening to you. It might not be the best time for you to express your anger. Mm-hmm. You might choose that to suppress the anger at that moment and just deal with the situation, mm-hmm. you know? People who repress anger habitually, they don't even know that they're angry. Oh, really? You know, well, yeah. As a matter of fact, it comes out of them in sort of passive ways. That's what somebody who's passive-aggressive is. You know, they'll make snide comments, but they never really say, what are you so angry about? I'm not angry. And sometimes you can tell the anger on people's faces, but they still not admit to themselves that they're angry. Why not? And, and, and some people compensate for all the rage they have by being, being extra sweet, by totally covering it up. Because they're so afraid of their anger, because when they were children, it was very dangerous for them to be angry. And by, by the way, all kids, if they live in a healthy environment, are going to be angry at some point or another. Yeah. They're going to be frustrated, you know, because right. they can't help it. They can't climb on the table. They can't jump out of the window. They can't have all the cookies, you know. They're going to be frustrated yeah. and angry. But if, but if the anger is dangerous for them, they're going to learn to repress it in order to keep themselves safe. They may even become extra sweet. And underneath that extra sweetness is a tremendous anger. Well, mm-hmm. that anger that you don't express actually suppresses your immune system. That's not a theory. That's a proven fact. Exactly. Now, here's, here's my other question on that. Is there, is there any difference uh, on a person? So let's say you take somebody who's been repressing their anger for, you know, 10 years, 20 years, whatever, and they... they Ah, they see the light. And so they want to start addressing that in their lives and they want to start expressing their anger. Is there any difference in terms of their health and their physiological response according to the way in which they start expressing that anger? Well, um, there's healthy anger and there's unhealthy anger. Uh, Rage is unhealthy anger. Uh, right. In, in a rage reaction, again, you're not in charge. The anger is in charge. You're just lo- you're losing it. You're you're blowing your top, as they say. You know, you're. In fact, the more rage you express, the more rageful you get. You know, and the, you you're completely out of control. And so, That's, physiologically, is that going to trigger all of those physi- adrenal nervous in, system? Physiologically, it's going to increase the chance of you having a heart attack, a heart attack, or a stroke. Is what it's going to do. Or your right. blood clotting, or your blood vessels going narrow because of all the adrenaline. 
cholesterol levels are going up and the blood pressure going up. The, the studies show that in the aftermath of a rage attack, your chance of having a heart attack or stroke double for the next two hours. Two but, hours, really? Yeah. So that's, so you pay no, quite a, it's not just an, an instant thing and it's gone. It, pay, it takes quite a toll on the body. Well, it does because, again, it changes the clotting factors. It changes the caliber of blood vessels. It changes the blood pressure. It changes a lot of things. Right. And so, the body can't just change back from that instantly. No, no. It, it takes an, it's an adjustment. Right. So the, um, that's the unhealthy form of anger. Now, healthy anger simply acknowledges its own presence and asserts that that which is making you angry is not acceptable to you. You know, you will not come into my room tonight or you will not talk to me that way. I will not be talked to that way. It doesn't have to have a whole lot of, uh, you know, fireworks along with it. It's just a right. healthy and firm expression of what your boundaries are. Now, that kind of anger or assertion is going to support your immune system. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, studies show that the people who do martial arts, which is actually the, the controlled aggression, you know, yeah. their, 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 their immune system actually improves as a result. Ah. That's really interesting because... Um that's part of martial arts has been part of my healing journey in that uh when i now again this is classic for fitting the profile but uh i suffered quite a bit of physical abuse in my childhood right. and you know when i was being hit and whatever i felt you know just you know you're a kid you're just so powerless it's just nasty right absolutely so Part of my pathway that I was using to heal that was to say, you know what, I I just need to get to a certain level, and and nobody knew what that was but me. It was a very internal thing, and I did six years of martial arts, and I trained up to six times a week, but I never took any tests. I didn't get any belts because for me it wasn't about saying, oh, I'm a black belt. It was just it was really very much an internal thing, and I got to the point where I was I was sparring with my and I trained in mostly Japan and England so there were no other women in the classes so I was fighting men all the time which you know for me actually was helpful <laughs> for what I was trying to heal that must have been and good for you. Uh, sorry that must have been good for you I think it was it was very good for me and the thing was I got to the point where I was good enough that the the men that I were fighting they couldn't just they had to switch on they had to actually fight me or I'd beat them now, when they switched on, of course, the fight would get, you know, very intense. And there was one, the one time, and I would, and for two years, I fought full contact with no pads even, no headgear, oh. no nothing. Right. And um, I was in a fight with my instructor, and he did a jump back spin kick, which carries the full momentum of his body torquing around, and mm-hmm. caught me on my chin. And I started to lose consciousness, and it was like a black cloth was dropping across my eye, and I lost control of one side of my body, like my leg went, my arm went, and I remember this thing and this blackness closing in on me, and everything inside me went, I will not, and I pushed it back, I regained consciousness, and I finished the fight, and that was the end of it for me. I never fought again, because I was like, okay, that's where I had to get to, that I could emotionally feel I am no longer a victim. Doesn't mean I'm going to win any fight that I get into, but it was, you know what I mean? It was just that emotional thing. Well, it's it's about not becoming a victim again. 
Exactly. Yeah. And to you say, well, I've reached <laughs> whatever point that was for me to say I'm not ever, ever going to be helpless. Right. Exactly. Well, that's great. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's very, it's so, it, to me, it's very interesting that you say that it, and at the same time, I was rebuilding my immune system, yeah. unbeknownst to me. Yeah. Yeah. So. Then, well, of course, some people often do these things unbeknownst to themselves because they're paying attention to their, to the wisdom of their bodies w- without any theoretical awareness of what they're doing, but they're doing it. Yes. It's a good thing. Exactly. Exactly. Well, now here, now I've got a question for you, and this is probably going to tie into um, other things you've written as well. On page 134, you talk about, I'm just giving out the page numbers in case anybody's um, following along, or, or we, we're recording these and people might want to go through it afterwards and look it up in your book. But on page 134, you talk about Martha who uh, had bleeding Crohn's, and she kept, you know, winding up in the hospital, very ill. And she came to discover that her core problem was that, that was causing her the stress, that was causing her to hemorrhage, was that she needed to leave her husband. And that, that's a really, really interesting uh, thing, because I think, I think that happens to a lot of people in that, they know that there's something that they have to do, but it's so difficult for them. And it, it may go against, you know, all of their childhood programming to have to do this thing. Yeah. But their body won't stop trying to make them do that thing. No, the body is actually kinder to them than they, they are being to themselves. The body's saying, listen, you're not hearing me. You've got to hear me, you know. Now, incidentally, she didn't, you know, she framed it in the terms of, I need to leave my husband. That's not what she needed to do. She could have stayed in a relationship had she been able to assert herself in a relationship. Right. It's like what you learned in that martial arts exercise. You know? Yeah, so that... Now, if the husband couldn't put up with her asserting herself, then he would leave the relationship, you know? Right, so exactly. She was right in the sense that she had to leave the relationship as it was. But it doesn't automatically mean that you have to leave a relationship. It means that... You have to leave the old patterns behind. If leaving the old patterns behind demands that you leave the relationship, then that's what you do. But it, very often it doesn't. It just and sometimes it's easier to leave a relationship than to leave the old patterns behind. Yes, exactly. You leave the relationship and then you go find someone else who's you know different yeah. face, same problem. Exactly, and unless you figured out the patterns which are you're carrying with you, you know. So, um, but yeah, I think that the body in that sense is is. Uh, Strangely enough, the body is more concerned with our spiritual well-being than with our physical well-being. And the body That's what I've always felt. And the body saying, I'm going to break down because I need you to become spiritually whole. And that's more important to me than my being uh, totally whole. You know? mm-hmm. A lot of people might say, okay, no, thank you very much. I'd rather be physically whole and spiritually dead. But that's not how life works. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. And it's a good thing that it doesn't. Well, I think we'd all just kind of, or most of us, would just kind of coast through, wouldn't we? <laughs> we just we wouldn't grow and we wouldn't learn and uh, we wouldn't be very kind to ourselves or other people for that matter. Yes, because what, I mean, really nothing forces you to shift and transform and transcend like a physical illness. 
Well, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, we human beings are pretty slow learners, and uh, you know, whatever it takes, you know. And if the body says, "Well, if that's what it takes, that's what I'm going to give you." It's very interesting because, um, and this is the other thing, it's often, you know, far easier to see these things in other people than it is in yourself. And, you know, I remember I, I did a consult uh, with a fellow once, and he um, he had colitis, and he just kept winding up, you know, in you know close to emergency situations. And so he, he did actually a series of consultations with me, and so I was able to see the pattern emerge because his primary mandate was, I have to get well to take my place in the family business which sounds okay on the surface, but as, as the weeks went on and I got to know him and he dropped comments from time to time, you know, it got to the point and I said to him, I said, you know, you're just not progressing. Like, we're doing everything physically that you need to do to be healed. He was very good about that. I said, but I think there's some major emotional, spiritual block here for you and which is why you're not regaining your full health. And I said, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here because you might get really angry at me, but from what I've seen, I think it's your, your, you obviously are feeling really pressured to join your family business, but I wonder if that's what you and your higher self want for you. Right. right. And he, and he just, he would not, he said, well, I said, do you want to be in the family business? He said, well, he says, uh, you know, uh, I don't really know. I, you know, I didn't even think about that because I can't. It's not an option for me. You know, I just, just sort of brushed over it and went charging on ahead. And so I stuck with him for a couple of more consults and whatnot. And finally, I just said to him, "Listen, you know, the, until you're to the point where you can look at this and that you can take it as even a possibility that you have a different path in life." You know, there's no point in you having any more consultations with me because there's nothing I can do for you. You know, you you would be better off going with the medical way because the natural healing way has to incorporate the emotional and the spiritual. And if you're not willing to go to that level, you're not going to get a lot of success. Exactly. exactly yeah. Especially for you know a chronic entrenched condition like that. Right. And the, you know, he was not able to. He was too identified with. Um, his duty and role uh, towards the family. Yes. To to let go of it. Yeah, yeah, and he was, you know, of of an ethnic grouping, and you know, there are certain ethnic groupings like Indians and Chinese, and yeah. where that that pressure to do. I know it's overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, to put aside your personal for the good of the family is just. Yeah, yeah. You I know. And uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you can say these things to people, and if, if they're not able to hear them uh, or, or or apply them, then that's, that's how it is for them. Yeah. So it seems to me, from, from what we're talking about, that your, correct me if I'm wrong, but would your primary definition of stress be anything that makes us not feel in control? Well, the specific definition of stress is, uh, or let me put it this way, stress is a three-level event. Okay, there's the external stressor, then there's the physiological stress reaction, and fundamentally, stress is a question of physiology. You can feel emotionally stressed, but not be stressed at all physically, in which case you're not stressed, you know?
Well, how, how okay, you got to, we got to start there. You have to tell me how can that happen. You can put somebody. How can you feel stress? Yeah, 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 you, can, you can put somebody to sleep, for example. Yeah. And, 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 and uh, burn them with electricity. They'll be physiologically stressed, but emotionally they won't feel a thing because they're asleep. Okay? Vice versa. You might feel upset about something, but you're not really stressed physiologically because uh, uh, you, you can actually handle it. Okay, so hang on. Let's go back to the you put someone to sleep and you, you burn them. But yeah. is, isn't this a thing that, like, in surgery, the things that happen in surgery have lodged in the person's subconscious and can go on to cause, to yeah, cause stress? Happens. Sometimes it happens, but I think the argument is that they're not fully asleep. You know, well, people, how? You know, look, all I'm saying is that that from the strict definition, stress is a physiological yeah. event. You can measure it. Hormone levels like cortisol and adrenaline and so on, you know. Okay, gotcha. Happening, then there's no stress in the sense that I'm talking about it. Okay? Yes. There's a, there's a physiological stress reaction, which is either there or it's not there. And so sometimes, what sometimes are... A, and sometimes a person feels upset without there being a physiological stress reaction. Because, in fact, they're not really being threatened and they're not, they haven't really lost control. Okay. They're just upset about something. Okay. You so is a, it the, you can, you can the be emotional? You get it because you didn't get a chocolate bar that you wanted, but that's not going to mean that you're stressed. Right. Okay. Now, so on a physiological level, there's a stress reaction. Then there's the external stressor. To go back to your question about control, a stressor is anything that you perceive as threatening something that you need for your survival, whether that be an object or food or, or love. Okay? So stressor is the, the stressor is the threatened loss of anything that the organism feels or believes is necessary for its survival. Okay? Okay. That's the external stressor. Then there's the what we call the processing system, which is actually our beliefs and our ideas and our reactions so that, again, the two people standing in line, one of them might be stressed because their interpretation internally is that they're being abandoned or that they might not get what they need. Mm. Okay, so that so, the, so our belief system has a lot to do with how stressed we get or how stressed we don't get. Right. And the, the, the significant major stressors, uh, the significant external triggers for the stress reaction are loss of control and uncertainty and lack of information. Loss of control, uncertainty, and, and lack of information. Right, which would all... You should also in your well-being. You know, if you lost control, you might really be afraid for your life. Right. Or you might be afraid that you're going to lose something that you need if you don't have control. Now, and I can't remember where in your book I read this, and maybe I correct me if I read if I'm remembering incorrectly. Yeah. I remember reading that um, sometimes, you know, something will occur that we don't feel is stressful, yet our body is stressed by it. Well, right. Again, because um, and, and you look at the study on melanoma patients who were uh, physiologically stressed, as, as shown by their body reactions. But if you ask them if they were stressed, they they, they said they know they weren't. In other so words, how, how does that work? How does that work? 
How, how can your body be stressed when your emotion, emotional, mental self is not feeling stress? Well, because um, when you're a small child and you're stressed all the time, like if, if I stressed you right now in some significant way, what would be your options? Uh, to say something back to you or to hang up yeah, the phone? Yeah, to fight back. To fight back, in other words, right? Right. Another option would be for you to simply escape. I'm not going to talk to you. Hang up the phone, right? Right. The third option would be to ask for help from the other people online, saying, look, this guy is not being respectful here. Yeah. But if you're a small child, say one one-year-old, and there's stress all around you, can you fight back? No. Can you ask for help? Absolutely not. Can you ask for help? No. Can you escape? No, you're trapped. You're... It, it, it leaves you with, the only way you survive the situation is by tuning out your awareness of the stress. Oh. Oh, that is such a huge ding, ding, ding for me. That's a massive click happening right there. Okay, and that becomes your life pattern then. You see, children, infants are born with very powerful gut feelings. Yes. And an infant is having colic. He's having gut feelings. Yes. Now, on the other hand, more important for the child's survival is the relationship with the parents. In fact, that's the most important thing. So the child will do anything. I shouldn't say the child consciously. The child's body and brain will do anything to maintain that relationship. If it means suppressing awareness of stress, it'll suppress awareness of stress. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. That is because then I remember that uh, as a child, I I wasn't even I wasn't even in my body. I wasn't physically present in my body at all, and I didn't feel I had no ups and downs emotionally. Life was just la 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 la. Everything was great until you know at sixteen was really my turning point where it all came. It yeah. all just came crashing down, and by seventeen I was diagnosed with Crohn's. But up until then, what, honest what, what, to God, I felt like life was great. What options did you have but not to be in your body if your your body was being hit all the time? Mm-hmm. For example. And, you know, oh. so, so people do. And, and then, they, then those become our life patterns. And once they do, it's very difficult to stop them. But but they're not, as you said earlier, they're, they're not, or contrary to what I heard you say earlier, they're not your core personality. They're not your core personality. It's, and so it's now it's just a made up personality. Yes, or your adaptive personality or Yeah, the adapt, the, the adopted person. You know, you know what? That's why the experience of um when we talk about that's somebody's second nature. Yeah. Think about that phrase. What does it mean it's your second nature? Yeah. <laughs> because it's not your first nature. Right. Right. It's your it's your second, it's your adopted nature. It's your Exactly. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you, um, and I don't know if you if you can shed any more light on this because um, now one of my I've been um, drug and surgery free for over 19 years now, and say, say, I have. Say it again. I'm sorry. I just missed what you I've been drug and surgery free for over 19 years now. Okay. And I still have had gut symptoms uh, recur, but I've been able to deal with them using entirely natural methods, which include both the herbal and the emotional tools and whatnot. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much, although I, as I've said before, my gut is sort of my, my, you know, alarm station for my body. If I am under stress, if I am out of control, if I am, it will, you know, my gut will kind of signal me um, yeah. before other organs and whatnot in my body. Right. But there is one, there's one remaining thing that I, I'm still dealing with, and I'm just going to throw this out here because I've, I've been to so many doctors and healers and whatever, and I, I can't crack this sucker yet, so I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't know if you can, but who knows. I have uh, a tendency to choke in my throat, uh, and I also have my internal anal sphincter. For, for those of you on the call who don't know what that is, you have your your anus, which has your, I guess you call it your external anal sphincter, and then is it about an inch and a half or two inches up you have your internal anal sphincter? Not that high up. but Not that high up? It's inside the external sphincter, yeah. Okay. I don't think, I don't think so, it's that high up, but you know what? Honest to God, I haven't looked recently. Okay. Um, so anyway, there's an external and there's an internal. Now, the yeah. internal is the only one that I have a problem with, yeah. and it goes so tight, I and can't and, 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 that's, and that's not under your conscious control. No, no. Yeah. And But here's the, here's the amazing thing. Go ahead. Yeah, the external one is, but the internal one is not. So carry on, yeah? Yeah, because the external one I have no problem with. Yeah, of course not. You can control that one. Right. And so the internal one, at first I thought, oh, maybe it's a stricture. Well, I went and I had some. I had craniosacral therapy twice with two different therapists, and both times they were able to release that internal anal sphincter to the point. Yeah. I mean, one of them was a man, and he had big hands. He yeah. could insert his thumb with no lubricant, wearing yeah. a rubber glove with no friction whatsoever. Uh-huh. So it can open. It's not physiologically. There's no, you know, there's no scar tissue. There's no nothing. It's not, it's not mechanically, physiologically. There's no blockage. There's no... Exactly. Right. Got it. But I leave the craniosacral session and within a day it's back to, you know, not being able to pass stool the size of a pencil. Okay. It tightens up that much. And then I have this throat thing where I will, and I, I, I certainly have noticed that if I need to be speaking my truth and I'm not speaking it, my throat tightens. If totally. I'm stressed, my throat tightens. Totally. Well, what else do you need to know? So I, I feel, but now I'm feeling those two things are linked. Like whatever's at the root of them, it's the same thing. Of course it is. Huh. Of course it is. First of all, you just about told me that the throat thing is when you're not speaking your truth, right? Yeah. Now, what shit are you not expressing in your life? <laughs> I haven't thought of that one yet. It's obvious. Right. There's something in your relationship. No, no, let me say something here. I don't know yeah. if you're your marriage or if you haven't talked much, you know. It's uh-huh. a pleasure to talk with you, by the way. But um, most of these issues happen in two areas of life, either yeah. in uh, work or most often in personal relationships. Right. So I would say that there's something in some significant personal relationship of yours where there's some crap that you haven't expressed yet. You know, And that may be in your marriage, that may be in relationship to your family of origin or something else close to you. Right. And Do you... Go ahead. No, yeah, that's okay. That's all I was going to say. And, and, I, and I suspect that it's an anger issue, actually. Hmm... I suspect that. I don't know that. I have to talk to you more privately, you know, uh, to, to, to get at it. But it would not be that difficult, I don't think, to find out what it is. I mean, you're so close to it. 
do you think it could be caused, because this was one of the things that I thought about, is there some sort of a nervous system trigger that's happening over and over again, like, say, an underlying tension that's just running through my life that, you know, is perhaps but that, a result? That, 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 but, that, but that's the whole point. I mean, the, 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 the internal uh, anal sphincter is controlled by the autonomic nervous system. Right. The part of the nervous system that's not under your conscious control. Okay, that's why it's called autonomic. It's autonomous. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, it really should be called the autonomous nervous system. And yeah. the, the apex of the autonomous nervous system, or the autonomic nervous system, is the hypothalamus in the brain. The hypothalamus is also the apex of the body's hormonal apparatus. The hypothalamus is also the structure in the, in other words, the body's stress apparatus. It's also the the part of the brain that receives messages from the emotional centers in the brain directly. So there's a direct link between the emotions, the autonomic nervous system, and what happens to the musculature of the internal organs in the body. And so there's something there. There's some ongoing tension. There's ongoing stress there. There's something is not expressed there. I mean, literally, it's not expressed, just as in your voice, the same way in your anus. Right. Both are openings to the outside, right? Right. True. And and. Um, it's also where you connect to the world. I mean, in a certain sense, the whole idea that we exist as separate organisms is nonsense because the world goes through us all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So basically a tube through which the world passes. And um, and so there's something there that you're, where you're closing down against something. There's something that you're, not, that you're not being prepared to deal with yet, to express, to allow yourself to open to. And that something is going to be in some important area of your life like work, or most likely, personal relationships. Mm. And given that your most important personal relationship is your spousal one, I suggest mm-hmm. it probably has to do with your marriage. But that's just a broad guess. I mean, it may not be. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. I'm just, this is, I'm just telling you how I think about these things. That's all. Yeah, sure. No, I, re- I definitely appreciate it. Okay, well, then... And, and, and the reason you're not dealing with it, of course, has nothing to do with the present. It's based on some old childhood fear. You know, it's some fear, some conclusion that you came to as a small child. Right. And, and you're still holding on to it. Oh, very interesting. Okay, so here's here I've got another question for you. And this is more of um more along the same ways of, of a, a spiritual emotional thing. Yeah. And this is something I I have yet to see you know, anybody addressing all of these, you know, because obviously I read a lot in that yeah. genre of the, the emotional and the spiritual um, books and stuff. And a lot of them talk about, you know, being true to your gut and following your dreams and yada, yada, yada. Now, here's my here's my question. And, I, and I've talked to, seems like a lot of people I know come up against this very same um, sticking point. What happens if your gut and your dreams are guiding you to do X, but your spouse's gut and your spouse's dreams are not in alignment. How do you how do you maintain health in that situation when your your whole thing is kind of you know guiding and yearning towards something that's you know at this point in time not compatible with his yearnings in his gut. Okay, well, uh, 
I'm beginning to have the sense that this conversation is flowing very directly out of the one we just had. Yeah, definitely related. Okay. In which case, I think probably I was pointing in the right direction. Let me answer this question. Do you know the story of Nasruddin and the donkey? Oh, I heard it, but refresh my memory. Okay, well, Nasruddin is being a Sufi sage and fool whose stories, even though sometimes they make him look like a fool, they always teach something very valuable, you know? So right. Nasruddin uh, is uh, visited by his neighbor who says, Nasruddin, uh, I'd like to borrow your donkey today um, to carry something to the neighboring village, would that be okay? And Nasruddin says, you know, you're my favorite neighbor. I'd love nothing better than to be honored by you borrowing your, my donkey. But unfortunately, my brother is just take, taking the donkey to market. Hmm. Nasruddin, and the neighbor's about, to, neighbor's about to leave the yard when the donkey brays in the barn right next door to them. And the neighbor says, Nasruddin, if the donkey's gone to the market, what was that? And Nasruddin says, who are you going to believe, me or that stupid donkey? Now, who are you going to believe, you or that stupid donkey? The stupid donkey, in your case, is uh, your own gut feelings and inclinations. The Nasruddin, in this case, is the spouse who wants something else. And it's not possible, I cannot believe, that if your inclinations are authentic, that that should necessarily threaten their relationship. Right. In other words, there's some kind of an inauthenticity here. Either the inclinations are not authentic or the spouse's resistance is not based on authenticity. Well, I, I th- I'll tell you right now, his resistance is primarily based on fear. I got it. That's not authentic. Right. Okay. That's not coming out of possibility. That's coming out of fear. And so the question is, are you going to be stopped by Nasruddin or are you going to listen to the donkey? Right. And, 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 and he can um, then deal with his fear if he is up for doing that. Mm-hmm. That's his responsibility. And, your responsibility and is, that, is, that another, is that another commonality among people with chronic illnesses? Is, is well, that, well, yeah, trying to take responsibility for everybody? <laughs> of course. When I give my talks on this, the, the, the characteristics are inability to say no. This, this belief that you're responsible for other people's feelings. Yeah. Are you responsible for his fears? No. Or is that his responsibility? Of course it's his. Okay. Are his fears authentic, or do they come out of certain childhood experiences? Do they reflect present-day reality, or do they reflect some hidden story, perhaps, that he's still carrying? Right. And if it's the latter... You cannot take those stories away. You can be compassionate and understanding, but you cannot be stopped by it. Not if you want to be authentic to yourself. And well, your what about... Is, and your body's telling you. I mean, isn't it? Definitely. Okay. Well, I did, I did an exercise where, you know, I was focusing on my throat, and I wrote down all the things that I felt were constricting me in my life. What did I feel constricted about? And that was that was certainly illuminating um and and again that's it's it's a sticky thing because you get it and and i'll 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 get it i'll break it down i'll make it specific here i have felt for a long time that my body needs the sun i was born in africa i'm half indian i feel very strongly that to be healthy and to be vibrant 
I need to be in a place that has a lot of sunshine. I understand that. Okay, I have three kids under the age of seven. The youngest is not even two, so he's still waking up a lot at nights. Yeah. My husband is sleeping with him right now because after the first two, I said, I can't do nights anymore because I'm going to be in a body bag, so you have to do the third yeah. one. Yeah. So now he's trashed, right, because yeah. you know what chronic sleep deprivation yeah. Yeah, yeah. does to you. So I'm I'm sitting there and I'm saying, look, we either need to, you know, sell our house and downsize so we can buy a second home in the sun or we need to just go move somewhere sunny. And he's like, I can barely even get through a day. And you're asking me, you're asking me to move. But this is, the thing is, this has been going on for, for you know, eight years now. Because, you know, when the first child came along and we were wiped out from that. And then the second child, we were wiped out from that. And, you know, so this has been sort of this very long-term thing that's ongoing, and I can completely understand where he's coming from, but at the same time, I I have a very real visceral need, and the children. Oh, but why, when you say when he says that, I I can barely. I'm not sure what he's saying. What's he saying? He's so How would exhausted. The moving to a sunnier climate interfere or make worse whatever you're dealing with. Oh, it's. Well, so it's not the day-to-day life in the sunnier climate. It's the selling of the house and well, you mean moving. dealing with all the stuff? Yeah. So is, is, is it that he's afraid of being somewhere else, or is it that he just doesn't want to deal with all the hassle involved in moving it's on? It's the with hassle. He, he's like, I can barely deal with what's on my plate day-to-day as it is. If to add on selling house and packing up a life, I can't, I can't deal with it. Well, Okay. Uh, that's not an authentic response. Oh, authentic interesting. Authentic response is, I want to do this, I don't want to do this. Right. fact is, if I came to your house right now and put a machine gun to your head and said, get the hell out of here and go to the city. <laughs> he'd, he'd haul ass pretty he'd darn be, quick. <laughs> he'd, be, he'd be packing and hauling pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's either you haven't got it across. Yeah. Or he's just acting out of fear. I suspect you haven't got it across. Uh, you know what? I, I really like this this way you're breaking things down into authentic response or childhood carryover. Yeah. Like it. It really. I mean, we. I could just like write that down on an index card and apply it. Like anytime something comes up, I could just slot that criteria onto it. Well, and send it me a really copy too, would you? I could use it myself. <laughs> Thank God we're recording the call. <laughs> oh, very, very interesting. Well, this is wonderful. Well, you know what? Let's um, let's open it up to other people. Oh, and before we do, I've got one question that somebody did email in. Yeah. So before we open it up for everyone's questions, I will let you this uh, this woman's yeah. question. Um, she has. Been, she has used multiple um, emotional mind-body therapies, acupunctures, craniosacral, visceral, yada, 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 tons of herbs. Um, she has IBS, which she's got under control, but she suffers and her whole family suffers from hormonal migraines. So I just thought, well, I'll just throw that out to you and see what you have to say about that. Well, migraines meaning are in the time of the period? Is that what you mean? 
Um, she just says, my family has a long history of hormonal migraines. My mom was completely debilitated by them for over 17 years. As soon as she reached menopause, they were gone. Okay, so they had to do with then, uh, obviously, the, the menstruation, menstrual periods, yeah. Right. Well, uh, okay, what I would say is that um, certainly there is such a thing, and but, again, um, uh, how should I put this? There's something going on in these people's lives, which on the time of the... I don't know if you ever read Eckhart Tolle at all. Yes. Okay, The Power of Now. And he's got yes. a new book, which Oprah just recommended this week, but it's... Oh, really? It's called, called The New Earth, okay? And, and, and Tolle, Eckhart's got this idea called the, 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 the pain body, this, this unconscious but very definite mess of pain that we all carry from our own early childhoods, even from past generations. And he says that in, and some, and sometimes the pain body is dormant, and sometimes it arises with full force, and then we're upset, and we feel hurt, and we feel, you know, all this kind of stuff. She sa- he says that for women, the pain body gets activated around menstruation time by the hormones. Oh, definitely. But it's not just... I would, I would say that... Here's my, my, my guess about the women with this hormonal migraine. Mm-hmm. I'd have to talk to them to find out if my guess is uh, in the right ballpark. Is that they're suppressing a lot all their lives and throughout the month. It's just that at period time, it's no longer possible for the body to hold it in anymore. Right. Because the, the hormones trigger it, you know. So that in other words, if they, they, there's something that they're, that they're not dealing with. It's yeah. not a question of herbal therapies or naturopathic. I mean, it's a question of what, what, what's the anger about and how they're not expressing it and how they're taking on way too much stress all the time, which around the period time becomes unbearable and gets in, expressed in the form of migraines. Because migraines, believe you, believe you and me, are always about suppressed anger. Oh, okay. Always. And I've well, had people tell me that once they've dealt with their anger, their migraines have gone away forever. Say that again? I've had people tell me that once that they've dealt with their anger, they've expressed it, understood it, and expressed it, and asserted their needs, the yeah. migraines go away permanently. Very interesting. And it's interesting what you said about the menstruation because... I know I've always had people say, oh, I just get so irrational and so emotional around my period and it's just so ridiculous and I wish I could. And I would, I would all say to them, no. You know, I, my feeling was that, you know, whatever, sure, things certainly are heightened and intensified and you may be upset about stuff you're not normally upset about, but that, I feel there's something almost energetic that happens that you're more wide open to the truth of what your gut and your higher self is trying to tell you. Exactly, and if you don't see it as the problem, that you simply want it to go away, yeah, exactly as the message that you're talking about, then I think you might get somewhere. I'm not saying yeah. you shouldn't try and get symptomatic relief. I mean, who wants to have a, a banging yeah. uh, headache, you know? But 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 it, but it's but but that's not just the only issue. The issue is also seeing well, what's actually going on here. What's this? Is, what is this saying to me? Exactly. What's the online, underlying causative? If you opened up that inquiry, I think you might get somewhere. Okay. Well, let's um, open up the lines here, because for all we know, this woman is on the call. I'm not sure if she said she could make it or not, but um, sure. and if she wants to talk with you further, she can. 
and anybody else who has a question at this time. So, um, Gabor, you and I will press star five right now. Okay. Okay, you done that? Okay, now everybody else who wants to join in to ask uh, Gabor a question, just press star six, and then he'll be able to hear you. If anybody has any questions. <laughs> I know we've... Gabor, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. I know we've covered a, an awful lot of ground today, and people's heads are probably reeling right now. So if you want to ask a question, just press star six on your phone, and then you'll be able to... And when people do that, Gabor, you and I can hear a little blip, but nobody's doing it. <laughs> so I think I think we've gobsmacked everybody. Do <laughs> that or put them to sleep? Yeah, what does it do? Oh, that's me, ever the optimist. <laughs> okay, last chance, and then we're going to let uh, Gabor probably get some dinner. Have you even eaten yet? Uh, yeah. No, because you've... But I'm going out to dinner with my wife, so it's great. Oh, lovely. Wonderful. Okay, well, let's uh, wrap it up there then. And uh, thank you so much for doing this teleseminar. It's been absolutely fabulous. It's a real pleasure to speak with you. I really appreciate your, um, your openness, actually. It's terrific. Thank you. Well, I'm really looking forward, actually, to reading the transcript <laughs> again because I feel like, wow, we just we covered so much. Mm-hmm. And we there's I know there's, definitely at least three things I want to go back over and like I said I am going to write them down and I'm going to kind of take them through my day with me and uh, because I think you've got some very profound insights into how this all works and therefore how we can change these patterns of, of or tendencies towards illness in our life so thank you so much for your, right, your you gift to the world thanks Gabor take care bye Bye-bye.